Hello, and welcome back to episode five of The City Speaks. I'm your host, Spark City, and let's get into it. So this episode is going to be about my streaming journey. I did my gaming journey last week, and while those two things are, like I said, very intertwined, uh, Nikki in my Discord said that she would like to hear more about my entire streaming journey from start to finish. So here we go. Let's start at the very beginning. I always say to people that my streaming journey started in April 2016 because that's when I began streaming consistently, but I first actually started streaming in 2015. I was doing, you know, very sporadic speedruns of Donkey Kong 94, which is a game that I speedran at the time. Uh, it was pretty haphazard though, and it was just a way to get runs recorded so that I could submit them to the leaderboards if I got a good run. So in April of 2016, that's when I started streaming consistently. It was Monday, Wednesday nights for two-ish hours a night, and I was playing Rocket League at the time. I, I experimented a bit at the beginning. I think I played some Rock Band 4, but I didn't know how to get that to work properly. There was, like, weird delay and stuff, so I just stuck to Rocket League. Um, I moved from PlayStation Rocket League to PC Rocket League in September so that I could play with Max. But for the first six to eight months, uh, those two nights a week, two hours a night, I streamed to nobody. Zero people, pretty much. No consistent viewers and very little viewership to begin with. And you'll hear this all the time. Like if you look up any of those videos that are like, top five things I wish I knew about Twitch. Success isn't quick in streaming. This is something you'll hear and it's very true. Um, but sitting there waiting for viewers isn't really the play. Like the idea that sort of comes from that, if you don't go into any more detail, is that, you know, like you'll you'll start streaming and you'll have nobody. But eventually, eventually you'll find people. Um, but if you're just sitting there blankly, and I've seen this a lot, and this is why I have sometimes trouble rating smaller viewers that I don't know, smaller viewership streamers that I don't know, is because oftentimes I've done this a bunch where I'll raid them and they're not paying attention or, you know, their audio is not working or something like that. For the most part, they're, they're just very unprepared because they're kind of just waiting for something to happen. And then when it does happen, they're not ready for it. Um, so you want to make sure to try and limit dead air as much as possible, uh, and I found for me that the most natural way to fill that on stream was to talk through my thought process, why I was going for a certain play, and if it didn't work, what I could have done differently, etc., etc. This helped me develop the ability to have an engaging stream without needing to rely on chat interaction, which I think is, you know, is kind of key when you're starting out because you won't have that chat interaction. But if you're just sitting there silently, somebody's going to come into your stream and be like, oh, well, see ya. Uh, so in December of 2016, by happenstance, Max and I ran across two gamers. We were playing casual 2v2 in Rocket League, and my Steam username was my Twitch URL because I'm really terrible at self-promo, so this is the best that I could think of. And uh, these two fellas joined the stream on a whim, and they became my first ever regular viewers. I have Leaky Space Boots and The Bacon Bean. Um, fast forward to April 2017, and Twitch launched its affiliate program, which was sort of a bridge between being an unmonetized streamer and a partner. Uh, and I'm, I was pretty out of the loop, you know, this was still kind of just a hobby, a little bit of a pipe dream for me. So I didn't even know this existed until a month after it, it launched. And, th and then I was like, oh, geez, oh, I need to do this. So I set my sights on that. Um, the requirements were 50 plus followers stream at least seven times a month and three average concurrent viewers, which means average viewership was three. Um, I had the first two, but I didn't have the CCV. I didn't have the concurrent viewership. Uh, so obviously Leaky Space Boots and Bacon Bean were super important to this and because uh, I counted as a viewer and then they counted as two viewers and then of course anybody else who popped in would help get me above that three average. And then on June 27th, so about a month after I found out about the program, I got invited to it. This was a huge moment for me. It was kind of the first time where my pipe dream of like, oh, wouldn't it be nice turned into a potential possibility, you know, like as of that moment, I could actually make money doing this, which was a cool concept for me. And I got the email for this. I still have it. I got the email for this while I was at 
a dead end job. And I had to excuse myself. I was a, I was a receptionist and I had to excuse myself from the front desk and go find like a quiet hallway and kind of dance around for a bit. I was super pumped. So I went home that night and I snapped a quick picture. I was trying to figure out what my emote should be. So I, t- I used a, my MacBook's camera, snapped a quick picture in photo booth, I think, of me with my shades on. I downloaded GIMP, which is an image manipulation program, sort of a free version of Adobe, and learned how to use it just enough to upload my first ever emote, which is Sparksy Gotham, which is me with my sunglasses on looking really cool. Uh, <laughs> I kept streaming two nights a week at that point, and I sort of started to think more realistically about my future of streaming. No clue where to start. You know, I'm, I was completely green to this, even though I'd been streaming for over a year at that time. It, it was a hobby. I didn't really have any ideas about about growth. Um, and I've been, I'm always been terrible at self promo. I don't really like doing it. So as a result, I don't do it, which is not great. Um, and I wasn't experiencing any growth, but I still have my regular viewers and, and I was having a good time about two months later, August of 2017, I was visiting my dad and I figured I would tell him that I wanted to try this as a career. I hadn't told either of my parents at this point, because you know, when your three time college dropout son goes, Hey, I want to play video games for a living. You know, as a parent, I'm sure that would just send you into absolute overdrive in terms of worrying. Um, I kind of expected a lot of pushback, but my dad was pretty supportive right out of the gate. He didn't really understand like what streaming was. I explained it to him, but you know, it's until you see it yourself, it's kind of hard to explain. Uh, it's kind of hard to understand, I should say. To use his words, he didn't really understand what that world was like. Uh, but he started asking me important questions. He uh, owned his own business, started his own business. So he sort of treated it as an entrepreneurial endeavor, which I think streaming very much is. Um, And the questions that he asked me were ones that I hadn't really thought about, which were really important. The most important one being, is streaming two nights a week going to be enough? Um, And this made me think about, you know, the quantity versus quality issue. It's usually presented as like a dichotomy, right? You, You either put it's quantity over quality or quality over quantity, like, but I'm a filthy centrist. So I tend to value them equally and I grew to value them equally. Streaming 12 hours a day with no goals in mind beyond grow is not going to be productive for you usually. And for most people, this generally leads to a degradation in quality, right? You're streaming 12 hours a day. You can't keep up like psychotic energy that you would need to stream 12 hours a day for most people. You could have the best stream ever though. Like if you have an insanely high quality stream and everybody who tunes in is blown away by it, but you're only streaming four hours a week, you're kind of limiting your reach, right? You can have the three nicest bricks in the world, but you're not going to be able to build a house out of them. At the time, though, I didn't really know how to make my stream quality. Still was kind of green, new in the game. Uh, so, and it was the first time I was taking it seriously and it wasn't just a hobby. So my approach ended up being stream a lot and use that time to practice and refine my stream's quality. Uh, with this in mind, I pretty much immediately bumped up my hours overnight. Uh, from two nights a week, two hours a night, I went from uh, to six nights a week, three to four hours a night. Still Rocket League, still just playing Rocket League. And I started thinking of ways, you know, like, how am I going to incentivize subscriptions? And so I came up with Subscriber Saturday, where my subs and I would hop into casual games of Rocket League and just chat and have a good time. And I wanted the atmosphere to be like, kind of like, you know, when you hang out with a a couple of friends and you're all gaming together. That's kind of the the atmosphere I wanted for for that kind of day. Over the rest of the summer, I continued working full time and I was streaming six nights a week. My job at the time was not fantastic. I'll just say it wasn't a great fit for me. I was hired to take on a responsibility. Eight months in, I still hadn't been trained on it. I had like an hour of work a day and manage- management would be in meetings for like four to six hours a day, completely unreachable. So I spent a lot of time just sitting there frustrated being like, man, I could be streaming right now. And this culminated with me being pretty miserable. It was, you know, towards the fall of uh, 
2017, I was, I was not feeling great. I was not in a good place. And some days I, I felt like I couldn't get out of bed and I ended up missing some work because of this. I, I really don't condone this. This was a big mistake. It wasn't a good decision. Obviously, I wasn't in a good headspace, but I should have tried to make a different change rather than, you know, just call in sick. Um, it was one of those days off, though, where I was in bed feeling miserable. And I started thinking like, okay, how long if I decided to go full time streaming and quit my job, how long could I last? Like, how much money do I have back? And uh, I had, I realized I had an RRSP with matching DPSP that I'd stashed some cash in from a previous job. And I did some math and I realized I could last about four months unemployed. This full-time streaming stint being temporary was an absolutely conscious choice. And it was one of my better ones, I think. In episode three uh, I of uh, the podcast, I always advocate for having an exit strategy. And I did here as well. I also didn't know how I would react actually to having gaming be my job. Like, it sounds really great, but have you ever tried forcing yourself to play eight hours of video games a day? It's, you know, it's not going to be for everybody. I figured I'd love it, but, you know, I've been wrong before in my life up to that point, so maybe I would come to resent gaming and I wouldn't want to do it. So I intentionally planned the stint to be temporary. I was also under no illusion about, like, my stream blowing up overnight and, you know, becoming, like, super famous and rich, and that was good, too, and I credit my mom for, you know, helping keep me grounded in that sense. So in November 2017, I cashed out my RRSP and DPSP, paid the penalty, and quit my job after giving my two weeks, well, after my two weeks had lapsed, obviously, and began my streaming career full-time. My mom was not super thrilled with the idea when I told her, um, but what I did do to help put her at ease, because she's she's a bit of a worrier, just like me, I I basically showed her, like, all the plan that I had to, to exit. You know, I was like, I'm only doing this for four months. I know I'm not going to blow up in these four months. I'm not planning on it. And, you know, at the three month mark was when I, I sort of set myself like, okay, for the last month, I'm going to be looking for jobs as well. Like I can't go into the last month and wait till the last week to look for a job. So I'm going to give myself a month to find a job. And that seemed pretty realistic. And she, she recognized what this kind of meant to me. And it was kind of my, I called it my mid midlife crisis because I was 25 at the time. And, uh, and so I showed her all these safeguards I had built in and what my exact plan was. And that made her feel a little bit um, more at ease about it. So she was she was supportive. And my dad was supportive too uh, after I talked to him about it earlier in the summer, like I said. And I did draw up some short-term goals, not just the exit strategy, because like obviously exit strategy is important, but if that's all you have, you're kind of just like, all right, so if I fail, here's what I'm going to do. If I succeed, I have no idea what I'm going to do. So obviously you want to draw up some short-term goals as well. So at the time, Twitch's payout threshold was $100, so which means I would have to accrue that much in earnings before they would pay me out. So at the end of a month, if I only had $50, I'd have to make 50 the next month to get paid out. Um, I did some calculations, and at the time, obviously this is a little bit easier now because I guess Amazon got some tax breaks or something, I worked out that I would need around 62 subscribers to get paid every month. So that was sort of like my primary base goal, you know, and then increasing my viewership from 3-ish viewers that I was at to about 10-ish. I don't think I accomplished either of these, um, and I didn't really have a great way of getting them done. I mentioned I'm terrible at self-promo. So gaining viewership and subscribers was a little bit difficult and I was pretty bad at it because I was new. Uh, but I did make my own schedule. Um, I began, I started the first two weeks and I did alternating between 1 to 9 p.m. Eastern time and 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time. So you're, you're sort of typical work day in, in the Western world. Um, and what I found was that 1 p.m., coincides with Europe's prime time, continental and also the UK. 
6 p.m. Eastern is obviously Eastern North America's prime time. And then 9 p.m. was starting to reach Western NA prime time. So as an English speaking streamer, it kind of made sense to stick with that because that's the majority of, of the people who are going to enjoy my stream, I think. So fast forwarding through this time, through the full time stint, my stream did grow a little bit. And by the end of it, I think I had about 10 subscribers. I can't really remember exactly, but that feels about right. I, I got paid for the first time after December of 2017. I got my first paycheck. At the time, it was like nine, uh, 60 days later or something. So it was two months after that. But that was when I reached my first hundo. I wanted to get it because uh, you can choose your payout method. And I wanted to get it sent to me as a check, but that would have cost like a $25 administrative fee. So yeah, no. <laughs> but at the beginning of February 2018, I had to, you know, start looking for a job because my my full-time stint was winding down and coming to an end and I was running out of cash. So I managed to snag one relatively quickly uh, doing warehouse work that I'd done before uh, with some coworkers I'd worked with. So that was kind of nice. I went back to working full-time and streaming six nights a week. Uh, my job this time around was more enjoyable than the one I had quit because I was working with former coworkers and the job was fairly, it was physically difficult, physically demanding, but it was, it was fairly easy um, to, you know, in execution. But my mind was pretty much always on streaming. And I'm sure my coworkers were absolutely sick about hearing about my stream towards the end of my time there. But I was completely in love. Like I, I went back to work and instantly was like, I need to get back to streaming full time. And everything I was doing was an effort um, to serve that goal. So the new, the new goal, the new, you know, sort of, this is when I'm gonna jump off point, was save up a certain amount of money and it would be enough to go full-time, but like give me a really good shot at doing it indefinitely. This ended up being a bit tricky because my jobs at the time were sort of temp work. Um, so there would be sometimes short contracts like with two or three weeks uh, with a week or two in between them, which made it pretty difficult to save, but I compensated elsewhere. So in April of 2018, basically I went back to work end of February, beginning of March. And then in April of 2018, so one month later, I moved out of my one bedroom apartment that I've been living in for like six and a half years, my entire adult life at that point, basically. And I moved into a college student house with three roommates. This slashed my expenses by like 60%. Um, and it allowed me to just put away a ton of cash. And obviously this was huge in, in accelerating my ability to go back to streaming full time. I spent the next year working and streaming, still six nights a week, saving as much as I could. And then in May, 2019, so jump forward a year because nothing really interesting happened there. I decided to go uh, go for it and go back to streaming full-time. And this was super exciting, obviously, you know? Um, and I started and I had this great gusto and I was still doing Rocket League, still grinding. You know, I was grand champ at the time, so I was trying to get better and better. Um, but as the month wore on and no growth happened, I began to get discouraged, you know? I struggled with, I, I'd struggled with self-doubt pretty much the entire time. In fact, in January, 2019, before I even went full-time, I was having a bit of a day and I, I talked to my dad and I was like, if I'm worried that I can't do this, does that mean I, I shouldn't do this? You know, like if, if I'm worried about my ability to pull this off, does that mean that I don't have what it takes? You know what I mean? It's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, you know, and he was, and it was nice because again, he, he had his own business. And so he could sort of relate to being self-starting and, and relying on basically his, his own self to get paid. And so he was like, no, he, he said, you know, I've, I've had many times over the years where I thought, you know, wouldn't it just be so much easier to work for somebody else? You know, nine to five, all these issues, payroll, managing employees, all that would be somebody else's issue. You know, figuring out the, the company strategy and, and things like that. Wouldn't it just be easier to work nine to five somewhere and let somebody else deal with that? But he said he realized that he wouldn't be happy with that. Uh, so 
it always kept him going. And so, but he was like, self-doubt is completely normal. Don't think that that precludes you from being able to accomplish your goals as a streamer, which was really helpful, obviously, you know, hearing that from somebody who was, who was successful doing what he was doing. Um, so obviously though, like the months wear on, you don't see much growth. And I think what happened was if I remember right, I just didn't really try that much. I was in a holding pattern with rocket league and I, I was afraid to branch out, but I needed to branch out. Um, and there's some things I did later on in my streaming career that I didn't do with rocket league. Uh, and, and I'll talk about those. Um, so I'd had to move again as well. I moved in late 20, uh, November, 2019. I had to move again. Expenses didn't change. Thank goodness. And I landed with some pretty fantastic roommates. Um, so that was pretty amazing. I got really lucky there, uh, but I was in a creative slump of streaming. I didn't know what I wanted to do next, but I did know that what I was currently doing was not working very well for me. So summer of 2020, May of 2020 was the time that I, I dropped Rocket League. It was really rough. It was a super exploratory fun period as far as gaming was concerned, but my stream was obviously shrinking as I moved away from Rocket League and I didn't have much of a focus, which is something I want. And then obviously in 2020, I started playing Fall Guys. And again, even this was me getting outside my comfort zone in like the most superficial way in that somebody suggested I play a game and rather than being like, mm, no, it doesn't sound like my thing, I, I played it. And... Uh, Obviously, this is the most important part of my streaming career, the Fall Guys era. Uh, and I, like I said, I did do a fair bit differently than I did with Rocket League, which we'll talk about as I go through it. Um, and right away, I pretty much, it's funny because I started, I started the same way in, in Fall Guys. You know, I, I started solo grinding. That's what I did. Um, obviously, I played with my friends, but I was in the interest of racking up wins for myself so that I could get good at it. And it worked, it worked fairly well. Um, for reasons I'll get into later. And it, it, it didn't grow my stream. Like I was still, you know, I went back to being a five to 10 viewer streamer, like I was with Rocket League, which was nice. It was nice to return to those numbers, but it was, it was more an important foundation. And this is the kind of thing where like mindlessly grinding a game is, I don't think it, it, it works as like a growth strategy, but what it does is it can afford you opportunities based on how, how successful your grind is. For example, I was the first North American player to reach a thousand wins in Fall Guys. And with that accomplishment, uh, you know, like I talked about last episode, I was able to land on a Twitch Rivals team. And this was, and this obviously felt like a massive opportunity for my streaming career. It was also some much needed money. Um, but it wasn't the opportunity that I expected it to be. You know, I figured, you know, I'm going to get my name out there. You know, I'm going to compete in this tournament and I feel like I have a pretty good opportunity to, to perform well in it. And, and via that, via my performance and my expertise at the game, that's what's going to get people into my stream. And I was wrong, dead wrong about that. As our team practiced, one of my teammates, as you know, was Stuart. I talked about this last time. And he and I, you know, we had similar senses of humor and we kept cracking jokes to keep things light, but mostly because we were both pretty nervous. We were all nervous, but he and I talked about it, you know, behind the scenes and we were pretty nervous and we were small streamers. So we both sort of had this feeling of like, holy shit, this is a big moment for us. You know, we could do it. Uh, so the day comes, yada, 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 I choke, etc. But Stu and I kept gaming together after that. In the weeks that followed Rivals, he raided my stream numerous times uh, and really introduced me to a crowd of people who wouldn't have otherwise known who I was. My stream went from, you know, five to 10 viewers to 20 to 30. And it's at that point, you know, that I started appearing in people's recommended streams on Twitch, which led to further growth. But it's important to note, you know, this is sort of anecdotal, but my time in Twitch Rivals didn't actually add much to my stream in the moment, like in a vacuum. Obviously meeting Stu was the catalyst that helped my stream reach that 20, 30 barrier. But when I, we were in, you know, 
in the finals competing for the win we were leading by what should have been an insurmountable amount and then i was like hold my beer um but i i only reached about 15 viewers that day so i barely my stream barely went up in, in views at all there were thousands of people watching that broadcast but we were relatively unknown so you know i thought that that was the moment you know getting my name out there in front of thousands of people was going to get people into my stream but i was wrong what ended up being the most important was the friendship that i made with Stu, and that just goes to show you like i had to adjust my expectations going forward so following our performance in rivals uh ben ben tv who at the time was pretty much one of the only people organizing grassroots tournaments for fall guys he reached out me via email small lesson here always have a business email attached to your socials because you never know and he asked me if I wanted to participate in his Chase of the Crown tournament series. He gave me two dates. I declined the first one because it was the day after Rivals and I was in no shape to do anything other than lay there and feel sad. But the second one was at the end of October. Now, here's where I contrast my approach with Fall Guys to my approach with Rocket League. In my Rocket League days, I would have declined this. You know, I would have said like, no, 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 no. You know, I don't want to participate in any tournaments. No, 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 no. Because I, I was scared. But this time, you know, in my head, I was like, I need to try something new. You know, this was a good opportunity for me. Look at what Twitch Rivals did for me. You know, like it was at least some money. So that's cool. So I need to try, you know, I need to try something, something new. My recent growth had given me an opportunity and I needed to capitalize on it. And that is, that is something that I was good at for probably about six months. And then I was bad at, and we'll get into that later. And there are examples of people who I've given before who are very good at this, who, who, you know, you can call it luck all you want, but their hard work that they put in gives them an opportunity and they take it so i accepted this invitation obviously i put together a team of bear tour of essence and sensei Stu was on another team otherwise he would have been our fourth and he was later uh and we competed in this chase to the crown tournament we finished second which was really you know we were all like holy shit like we made money playing fall guys lol we're all by very very strict definition professional fall guys players hell yeah as a result i kept competing um, and the next few times we did the uh, the Chase of the Crown series that Ben Ben ran, uh, it was Bear Torvescence and then Stu joined us for the next tournaments. And we won both of the next two. And as a result from that, my stream and Stuart's stream uh, experienced some growth. But just as importantly, I was meeting new people. You know, folks like Nightwalker, Coriano, Chewy, Drew Crew, Be More Royal, Trip, Dangers. Like, there's so many people that I met through Fall Guys. You know, we all became friendly. And I have super fond memories of gaming late into the night with Chewy and Drew you know, laughing and just having a blast. I, I often refer to season three as the peak of Fall Guys. It's somewhat facetious, you know, because there were problems with the game back then. But the nostalgia I have for those late nights, you know, makes it really true for me. So after my hour, I guess, but my specifically as it applies to me, after the two recent tournament wins, uh, my stream kept growing. Uh, and it was big enough at the time. It was about 80, I think. I had grown to about 80. 80 to 90 viewers, I'd say starting to get close to being able to apply for partner which you know my brain was like oh so after these tournament finishes i got big enough to be invited to grand pooh bears fall mania 7 sponsored by red bull and again you know rather than being like oh my god you know i was just like what is this going to be for my stream this is a huge opportunity obviously the money w would obviously be nice you know 5k us nothing to sneeze at anybody who turns that down for you know what ends up being an evening of fall guys playing is you know needs their head checked i think and it was winner take all so it was even more high stakes but more so i was focused on you know the reach the fact that thousands of people watch this tournament and and uh you know what what kind of opportunity winning this would give me and obviously the pressure was a lot for me because i had not competed a lot in my life in this sort of format in pvp 
and I was freaking out. Like the morning of the tournament, I was super nervous. You know, I don't know how I slept the night before, but I slept okay. And I, you know, I called my dad was like, dad, how do I deal with this? You know, like if when with your business, if you needed to close a major deal that had this massive implications on your career going forward, how did you deal with the pressure of potentially failing? And his advice was kind of like, it was, it's funny because it's kind of forehead, but at the same time, I think I talked about this in the last episode, but his advice is kind of forehead, but it ended up being really good for me is stay in the moment, right? Don't start planning how you'd spend the money or what the stream growth is going to be like, because it's going to distract you from the task at hand. And also when you've built up all these storylines for yourself, it'll feel extra bad when you lose. So I, I followed that as best I could, you know, obviously you can't completely tune out those thoughts. And I managed to clutch out the tourney, as I said, last episode. And basically overnight, my stream went from like 80, 90 viewers to 120, 130. And I, I, I felt like, you know, I was finally doing it. I busted my ass for like five years and I finally cracked the code. You know, it felt like I was grinding. I was competing in tournaments every weekend. And even on weekends, I wasn't competing. You know, this is we're talking January 2021 now. Uh, I was hosting stream snipe lobbies, both on PC and PS4 stream snipe lobbies weren't as big of a thing back then. I didn't come up with them, but they, they weren't as big of a thing. And I think I was the only person doing them both on PC and PS4. Uh, and this was, or at least I was the biggest person doing them on both. And this was big for me because, you know, it allowed everybody in my community to have a chance to play. So again, one of those things where it's like, most people don't have both a PC and a PS4. I did as a result of my gaming hobbies. So I, I capitalized on this. I used this to, to include everybody in the community. So my stream growth was starting to tail off, but I was still, I was still up there. You know, I was in the 140 to 150 uh, concurrent viewer range. And so my second application to join Twitch's partner program was accepted on February 7th, 2001, 2021, 2021, 2021, excuse me, during a stream snipe day of all days. Uh, I was really emotional. I, I think I shed some tears on stream. And because this was the culmination of everything I'd been working for for the last five plus years, um, to everybody I met along the way, be it close vendor, acquaintance, lurker, regular viewer, one-time viewer, it doesn't matter. Like, I can't express my appreciation enough for this opportunity that I've been given. However, I made some mistakes in the upcoming months, and we're going to talk about them. In March of 2021, so about a month and a half later, I received a DM from a streamer named Mr. Llama, and he asked me to join him as his duo partner in an upcoming but as yet unannounced Twitch Rivals event for Fall Guys. And I was thinking about it, and I looked at his stream, and, you know, he's got, like, 140,000 viewers and averages, like, 1,500 viewers, and I was like, I'm fairly confident that the main reason I got picked for this was because I had a check mark. And so that's one of those things where it's like, yes, I got this opportunity because of five plus years of work. Um, so I needed to capitalize on this. So I accepted and I chatted with him and we practiced together a few times over the coming weeks. And I was like, actually super impressed by his drive to learn the game. I kind of expected him to just be like, ah, you know, I'm a big streamer. Let's just, you know, it's Twitch Rivals, whatever. We'll show up. We'll get paid, yada, yada. But he actually wanted to, like, learn and, and place well. And if I remember right, he was, we clinched, we were sixth place um, out of 30 teams. And he basically was, I think in the last game, he got us to the final because I choked on a hoverboard. Me choking. It's like, a it, it, name a more dynamic duo. Um, but he got to the finals and got us our last point that clinched us solo sixth place. So, I mean, he put in a ton of work to try and get better at the game, and he had to uh, play against a lot of really good players. And he introduced me to his friend, Miss Kylie, and the three of us played some offline games and had a lot of fun. But after the Rivals event, I was kind of wary about continuing to, you know, talk with them and hang out with them and stuff. You know, like, I'd stop by Mr. Llama's stream. He's a Diablo 2 streamer. 
and ask him about the game because I didn't really know anything about it. I was <laughs> literally the only Diablo game I played is three, and I learned very quickly that that is not a Diablo game by most Diablo player standards. Um, I also appeared once on Miss Kylie's stream and we played some Fall Guys together, which was awesome, but I didn't, you know, pursuant to my attitude about content creation and grift, I didn't want these two to feel like I was grifting because I'm, I was such a smaller streamer compared to them, and I was less anchored, you know, my... They'd both been streaming for five plus years as well, but they had been partners for like five plus years and I was not, you know, I didn't want them to feel like I was clinging on to them or anything like that, but this is not a good approach. It's, it's honestly like the more I think about it, it's the same kind of mentality I advocate against. You know, when I say like your networking and making friends has to be organic, meeting these two people was organic. It was an organic happenstance. And by overthinking it like this, I was making it inorganic. So eventually I kind of like stopped hanging in their streams and like, Again, I didn't want to feel like I was, I didn't want them to feel like I was using them or something, but neither of them actually said anything or made or did anything that should make me feel this way. It was completely my own, you know, my own psychosomatic view. And that's a big mistake, you know, like I, I could have stayed friends with them and it wouldn't have, it might not have meant anything, but either way, like, so that's, that's a bad mentality by overthinking it. I was making it inorganic and that's what I caution against. So the reason I caution against it is because I've made that mistake. So around the same time, you know, May 2021, and over that summer, the Fall Guys community started to shift. There were fewer and fewer competitive tournaments happening. Big money tournaments pretty much stopped with the exception of, I guess, DreamHack in July. And grassroots tournaments were kind of drying up as, as attendance was lowering and viewership was down across the board. And I think as a result, solo grinding as a form of content started to wane. I think this is probably the catalyst is that you didn't have competitions to, to, you know, remind people why the game was so exciting to watch. And so what ended up happening was stream snipe lobbies became all the rage over the summer. Uh, there were a couple limited time modes that really influenced this as well, where people could, you know, you could potentially get 10 people winning around. Um, and so people were running them for like six plus hours a day. And for me, I was super burnt out of competing. Um, even disregarding the time commitment, like some of these tournaments, especially the ones with questionable formats were like 20 hours over a weekend. So you're working 10 hours a day each day for the chance to split $250 four ways. Like it was just, it just wasn't great. But on top of that, I've also never, <coughs> excuse me, I've also never been good at dealing with the stress of competing and especially losing. I talked about this last time, the difference between like I lose and I feel bad and I win and I'm just relieved. Um, obviously that had improved and I was getting better at, you know, celebrating my victories and feeling happy about them. Uh, but even competing in smaller tournaments, it always drained me of energy. It always felt like, you know, like I have nothing to prove anymore. So why am I doing this? And even if I won, which I rarely did towards the end, even if I won, it still was like, geez, this was so rough. Um, but on the flip side, I didn't really like running stream snipe lobbies too much. I like doing it for a few hours on, on the occasional Saturday because it's always fun to see everybody from your community and game. I didn't want to do it upwards of 50 hours a week. I liked solo grinding, you know, earning crowns was still fun for me. So uh, stream snipes was kind of just like, eh, it was kind of boring. It got boring for me after a couple hours. So I still had a healthy viewership at this point, but my CCV was, you know, already down to about 110 from 150 just a few months prior and this is something where i didn't really realize at the time because i was seeing triple digits and it and it made me feel comfortable but i'll talk about how this factored into my thought process in 2022 later towards the end of the summer uh though even with solo grinding like being my favorite thing the boredom started to set in um solo grinding was always in service to a greater good, you know, a greater goal, whether that was first to 1k wins, first to golden knight, whatever. 
now, you know, I just hit 5k wins and another 1,000 felt kind of meaningless, you know, 6,000, who cares? On top of that, the issues with the game were becoming more numerous and I'm pretty sure my own boredom exaggerated the frustration that I was feeling. And with very few major competitions and me kind of being burnt out anyway, and the the game was becoming more frustrating than fun and viewership from Fall Guys was already steadily dropping across the board, I started, you know, kind of looking elsewhere and trying to figure out what else I could do. Again, in the fall of 2021, the worry started to seep in. You know, I had always, always said I wasn't going to play Fall Guys forever. Anybody who's in my stream a lot knows that I never was like, oh, yeah, Fall Guys forever, guys. And I had a handful of community members suggest I try other games. But it was still always, you know, I tried other games, but it was always like a gut punch, you know, seeing your viewership go from from 120 to 30 overnight, basically. Um, The lesson here is obviously don't let your numbers define you. But for me, you know, it's easier said than done. I like analytics. I like data. I look at data. Sometimes data makes me sad. Um, it's hard not to view drop a precipitous drop in viewership as a crumbling of the thing you have spent years building. We'll talk about this a little bit later. <laughs> I keep putting everything off, but you know. So that fall, uh, October 2021, I took a week off because I had like my roommate's wedding. Beartorv came into town and I visited with him and Vixen, members of my community and friends. Um, there was there were a few other things as well that oh yeah we had uh thanksgiving in london london ontario not london england with my grandparents uh so you know it was uh, it was basically like there was only one or two days that week where i would have actually been able to stream and i hadn't taken a week off for over 12 months so i figured i'd take the week off obviously this wasn't very good for recharging me uh but it was nice anyway and I was, uh, and then in November, I started taking like more sporadic days off, you know, like a day here, two days there uh, in the middle of the week, because I was feeling pretty down about the stream. And I didn't, I didn't want, it was again, a struggle to get out of bed. I didn't want to stream. I didn't want to keep playing Fall Guys. So I was doing a lot of thinking and some of it was even productive, if you can imagine that. And I started realizing that I needed to make a change. Um, so at the end of November, early December, I stopped playing Fall Guys on stream and started trophy hunting full time, which will sound familiar if you watch my stream today. Um, I think the reasoning behind the swap was good. Um, and I'll go into that a little bit here. You know, I looked at my viewership. So it's it's easy to look at my viewership now and say like, man, you know, I mean, Trials has been pretty good, but, you know, 10 to 20 viewers down from 150 a year prior feels pretty terrible. Um, but the important thing to remember is that by the time November rolled around and December rolled around and I made the switch, I was already down to like 60. So I was, I had already lost over half my viewership from a year from a year prior and obviously that sucks but that sort of reinforces that this was the correct decision i also would have suffered a massive degradation in the quality of my content because i wouldn't want to do it and when i'm in a bad mood i'm not fun to be around <laughs> whoa what a concept right um but i think what i could have done the execution of my decision could have been gentler I think I said this last episode as well, but instead of cold turkeying, I could have started every stream with a few hours of Fall Guys and then swapped over to whatever game I was hunting trophies for. And this would have been a gentler transition, right? It would have provided some, and it also like, it would have let the audience build up and then it would have provided some active exposure into my new content, which might've been less alienating for viewers who are expecting only Fall Guys. And if I ever get to the point where I'm successful at one thing and then feel the need to move away from it, I'll try this approach. And this is a lesson I, I've, I'll, I'll test. I'll see if I've learned it next time. Um, but throughout it all, I, I always want to stress, I, I've talked a lot this episode about, you know, it feels bad when your numbers drop. I never felt resentful towards viewers that left 
I never felt resentful towards content creators who continue to stream Fall Guys or anything like that. Um, I think that's something that folks who pursue content creation can kind of, you get lost in the sauce a little bit. There's a lot of discourse around parasocial relationships, you know, like uh, the streamer and viewer parasocial relationship, but usually it's from the perspective of like, oh, the viewer acts this way. You know, this is their parasocial relationship with the streamer. But streamers, especially smaller ones, especially ones who are struggling to get their foothold in the industry, they often have their own version of that. And it manifests in some really ugly ways. I think the most common way is probably coveting your viewership. Um, and you've, you know, you'll see this happen a lot. You know, people will consciously say, I don't want to raid people because I don't want to lose viewership. Or um, I've watched streamers that I, I very much enjoy and I like them and they're nice people, but I've watched them make passive aggressive comments to people in their, in their, who come to their chat because they used to be a regular viewer, but they no longer are. Streamers consciously not rating other people, like I said, that's that's all kind of coveting your viewership, and you can't really do that. It's it's weird, right? Like as a viewer, as a streamer, if you lose a viewer, it feels bad, right? Because you're like, dang, what did I do wrong? Something something is my fault, or somebody else stole my viewer, or whatever most people will usually say, right? It hurts. You don't need to throw them a big happy going away party. But the more happy viewers we have on the platform, the bigger the platform will be, which gives us all better odds of having a job. If you raid somebody and they like that person's content more than yours, you have to view that as a you did one of the most fundamental jobs as a content creator, which was you gave some, somebody something they want to watch. It sucks that it wasn't you, but I hate to break it to you. Most people aren't going to like what you do. There's a reason that no streamer has the majority of viewers on Twitch because there's millions of options. And so if you can help somebody else, that's good. The more you help people, the better the platform becomes. Um, obviously, in the moment, it's hard to realize this because you just lost a viewer. And if you only have five of them, that's 20% of your viewership and it feels terrible. But you should never, and I made this point in my early 2020 video on small streamer privilege, you should never feel entitled to anything viewership-wise as a streamer. As soon as you start feeling jealous of other creators or as soon as you start getting into that headspace where you see a former regular viewer in somebody else's chat and that makes you sad or mad, you need to figure out why you feel that way and you need to address that and you need to move past it because that's not going to help. If anything, it will hurt you long term because your your community becomes more exclusive. Anybody who's not a regular gets this like passive aggressive snipey tree. It's not good. Obviously, this is fairly anecdotal, but I've seen this dozens of times from a bunch of different small streamers. I've heard about it from viewers who, who talk to me about things. And so it's, it's tricky. And the other thing is that the classic advice you get as a streamer on social media is no one can tell you what to do, you know, with usually these kind of things are said with clap emojis in between each word, like you can reinvent yourself whenever you want. No one can tell you what to do. You're not beholden to your viewers. 100% true. This is absolutely true. I think delivering it with clapping emojis makes it sound more dumb. But the flip side of that is that when you reinvent yourself, you cannot expect people to stick by you and you should not. If they do, great. But if you watch a show that was a serious crime drama and it went to a slapstick comedy overnight, you would understandably be pretty jarred by this and probably stop watching the show and look for a crime drama. It's the same for a viewer. You're not beholden to them. No streamer should be beholden to their viewers, but they're also not beholden to you. And this is where the streamer to viewers parasocial relationship that doesn't really get talked about comes into play. You don't owe them a thing is like a classic. You'll, you'll hear people like, oh, you don't owe them a thing. And then somebody will switch their content and be like, why didn't anybody? It sucks that like nobody's there for me when I switch content, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's the nature of the game, man. You switched content. 
sucks that I'm sure the viewer feels like it sucks that one of their favorite creators now doesn't do something they like watching. That's the nature of the beast. You have to steal yourself psychologically for the inevitability that some viewers will just move on and there's nothing you can do about it. And most importantly, it's not personal. Okay. So anyway, back to me. So 2022 started off pretty quietly compared to 2021, as you can imagine. When I started doing trophy hunting, I realized that, you know, I needed to make it a focus. This is when I sort of started realizing that I like having focus to my stream. This is a relatively new development for me as a streamer. I'm still learning, you know, six, seven years into the game, I'm still learning. Um, so at the beginning of the year, on a short Saturday stream, I sat with my community for just over an hour, I think. And we made a list of 50 games that I would try and platinum. It was so fun. I Everybody was, gave some suggestions. I think I took suggestions from mostly everybody who was there that day. I made a spreadsheet and everything. Um, it was only about an hour, like I said, but it was fun planning everything out and, you know, doing it with my with my community and, and feeling like I had some new goals and a focus. That was very encouraging for me. I finished my 50 Platinums pretty far ahead of schedule, no big deal or anything. August, early August, I think. This was supposed to last me to the end of the year. I finished it like almost five months early. And I've been constantly thinking about new things to try. This podcast is one of them, actually. I've been thinking about it for a long time. In fact, this idea has roots back to, I think it was my partner celebration stream so february 2021 jump around was uh, a limited time mode in fall guys which was just you know two rounds of jump club one round of jump showdown as a final and i did 24 hours of that so playing the same two maps for 24 hours all you kids complaining today about hashtag save fall guys this that and the other thing shut up um but chewy louie who's again one of the friends that i made in the fall guys era we were spitballing topics to talk about because you'd sit there timing out, you know, the final round so that everybody could win it. Um, and so it got boring. So we were figuring topics to talk about and we, you know, the idea of us doing a podcast was kind of a joke, but it came up and I, I've been thinking about it and it keep kept surfacing in my conscience, conscience, consciousness over the next year. Um, and so I started doing it because eventually I was like, I just need to try stuff. You know, I wrote, shot and edited a YouTube short and I'd like to do more on YouTube. You know, the important thing for me now is though, like fall guys was a year long habit. It was something that I could just turn on. I didn't really have to think a lot about. Um, whereas now I need to go back to trying new things, even if they suck, even if I stammer my way through this podcast, you know, I need to keep trying and improve and create things that I enjoy. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a way to make trophy, trophy hunting interesting to watch. I swear to God. Jokes aside, though, it's a lesson I'm always learning with content creation. It's easy to look at your dwindling numbers and be sad. And I've done that a fair bit. Um, and I think it's fine to do that to a point. But also, with the lower viewership comes increased freedom in a way. You'll hear larger streamers say that they feel trapped by their numbers because they don't want to lose their CCV. But I've already done that. <laughs> I already took that plunge. Easy. So now I can sit around feeling sad or I can look at this as the correct decision and I can view this time as an exploratory era for my streaming career, like I've had so many for my gaming career. So that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm, I'm trying to try new things. And that's the important thing. I think you need to constantly be pushing yourself. Thanks for listening. I hope you all have enjoyed the episode. And uh, let me know what you thought as always on, on Discord. You can join my Discord exclamation mark discord in my twitch chat in twitch.tv slash spark city you can find me on twitter at the spark city send me a dm shoot me a tweet whatever you want to do let me know how what you thought if you want to hear me talk about anything i've got a couple couple uh concepts working on for the next couple weeks um but yeah thank you all for listening very much i really appreciate it and hope everybody has a great rest of their weekend or a great halloween if you're listening to this on monday or a great week or whatever the heck Bye bye